Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. You might be wondering why the title of this episode is The Hedberg Show. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast before, but I'm going to now. My favorite stand-up comedian of all time is, rest in peace, Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg is the author of such famous stand-up lines as, an escalator can never really break. It can only ever become stairs. They shouldn't put a sign that says, escalator temporarily out of order. It should say, escalator temporarily stairs. And so many other great individual lines from Mitch Hedberg. And you see, the reason I decided to call the show The Hedberg Show today is not because I have any intention of replicating any of his greatness, although my impression does leave something to be desired. Instead, it's because the structure of today's episode is very herky-jerky. And in many aspects of stand-up comedy nowadays, it's kind of... Isn't it funny how? And there's a funny story and there's usually a punchline at the end of the funny story, usually situationally based. Mitch Hedberg didn't have any of this style at all. He just had individual things that he thought were funny. And so what he would do is he would tell you something that he thought was funny. And then he would stop. And when you were done laughing, he would tell you something else that he thought was funny. And those two things might not be related basically at all. And he didn't intend to try and make them related. There was no even attempt to tie these two things together. He would go right from that into, you know, I don't have a girlfriend, but I do have someone who would be very upset if she heard me say that. And then when the crowd was done laughing at that joke, he would move on to the next one. That is kind of how today's show is going to be. I have a lot of things to talk about, but none of them are super long. So we're just going to go bang, 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 bang. But instead of going something I think is funny to something else I think is funny, we're going to go something I want to talk about to something else I want to talk about. And there's probably not going to be any sort of connection at all. So it will be a podcast in the same style that you have previously seen Mitch Hedberg. If you don't know who that is, go ahead and 
YouTube him. You can thank me later. Let's start off with the idea that today's episode is going to be largely about draft prep. And I want to start right off the top with the idea that is this. And I'm going to whisper it. Most people who study draft prospects have no desire to be scouts. It's not the insult you think it is. If you know so much, why aren't you a scout? Number one, we don't know as much. Number two, the vast majority of people don't want to be scouts. Being a scout is a crappy lifestyle for a lot of people. It is hundreds of days on the road away from your family every single year, and the pay is not great. So let's just go ahead and eliminate that from a repertoire. As far as, I don't like this guy's opinion, I'm going to hit him with the, if you know so much, how come you're not a scout? Number one, they probably don't know as much. But number two, there's lots of other reasons why somebody wouldn't want to be a scout aside from not knowing as much. It's really a job that a lot of people aren't going to want. Number three, have you heard some of the scouts recently? It doesn't really absolve you of saying crazy things. Every year, there's a scout opportunity. Usually the athletic will put out anonymous scout quotes about the draft before the draft. And some of the stuff is insane. So it's not really the insult you think it is. Player comps are based on style, not success. Please, please don't do this. Oh, you're saying he's Stefan Diggs. People who do player comps specifically don't want to comp anybody to really, really, really good players because they want to avoid that nonsense that you're telling them now. Success is style in the right system with the right surrounding pieces. That's success. Style is only one third of the thing necessary to get success. When you're comping someone, you're comping them based on the methods by which they win. How do they win? Offensive tackle wins with size and length, has slow feet, but makes up for it with hand usage and proper usage of length. There's going to be other tackles that win that same way. That's what the comp is going to be. Not this guy's going to be exactly this other guy. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Know it when you're reading scouting reports. Some people, they'll skip to the comp and say, oh, I like that guy. Or they'll skip to the comp and go, oh, I don't like that guy. And they'll miss the entire rest of it. Usually it's just how do they win? Some people have to start on their draft prep now. Some people don't start on their draft prep until after free agency is over and they never have enough time to get any meaningful work in. Remember how I'm always telling you that you should watch other teams and you should follow other beat reporters? One of the reasons why that's so important is because if you watch other teams throughout the year and if you follow other beat reporters throughout the year, it gets you a head start on free agents. And if you have a head start on free agent possibilities, that frees up time for draft scouting. But if you watch a lot of college football, like a bunch of people do, then you're ahead on both. The more broadly your football consumption takes place during the season, the more you will be ahead in the offseason. So if you want to be as far ahead as humanly possible when the offseason hits, 
watch more football, follow more beat reporters, watch college football. Do those things. You'll be ahead. Mock drafts. Mock drafts are thought exercises. Well, what if this doesn't happen? What if this generally assumed item doesn't occur? What if this team does this one thing that we might not be expecting? How does that trickle through the rest of the first round or the remainder of the two rounds or the remainder of the draft or however long the mock draft is? If mock drafts were all 100% intended to be predictive in all iterations, then they would never change unless insider information was received. And in many cases, the people who are completing the mock drafts don't have insider information this early or sometimes at all. I don't have insider information. So when I have to do a mock and then I do another mock, I have to do it based on one trickle effect. Well, what if the Texans don't draft a quarterback? And the possibilities before free agency are very significant. Mock draft exercises are thought exercises. What if this person did this? How would that change what happens beneath it? Please understand their thought exercises. I beg of you, every single year, people put out mocks. And the reason they put out mocks is because we consume them. We click on them, but we mostly click on them to yell at the person. That's it. We just want to be mad. My team would never do that. Like, like we know our team would never do that. Did you know that the Buffalo Bills were going to draft back-to-back defensive ends? Did you know that? Did anybody mock that ever? Have you ever mocked that personally? Back-to-back defensive ends. No, stuff happens, man. They are intended to be thought exercises. Now, at the very end of the process, usually there's somebody who puts out a predictive one. You know, they're trying to get it right based on information they're hearing and based on what they think these teams are going to do. But that doesn't happen every single mock. They're thought exercises. When you go through needs, which influence the way that you consume mocks. I talked about this on Twitter a little bit earlier last week. We are way, way too comfortable with using the phrase eye test. There is a level of ego associated with saying, well, it doesn't pass the eye test. That just really, really gets to me. Really gets to me. Doesn't match the eye test should not be a dismissive statement. It should be a gigantic alarm that causes you to go back and watch again. Think about this for a second. We have a ton of confidence in our eye test when we watch football games once through from a broadcast angle with emotional investment while staring at the ball the whole time. But after the game, we are really confident about how that left guard played. Super confident. Man, we feel really good about it. We'll call into a radio station and we'll lambaste that left guard for this one snap that we noticed him. We were staring at the ball the whole time. Football's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated than that. So when I see a metric or set of metrics or data set in general, 
and it doesn't line up with my eye test, I don't immediately dismiss it. I go, hmm, maybe I should go back and look. Because there's a level of humility that you need to be able to consume football. To be able to know that you don't know everything. I played, I coached, I study, I watch all the games back, I watch a crap ton of football, I read on football. I haven't even scratched the surface of how complicated football can be. Go talk to a college coach for a minute. You will quickly find out how little you know about football. We just don't know nearly as much as we think we do. But yet we're really, really comfortable with the eye test. Watching, consuming, and learning football requires a level of humility that is the complete antithesis toward the statement, well, that doesn't line up with the eye test, so I'm dismissing it. Don't dismiss it. Accept the idea that perhaps your eyes are wrong. I do that all the time. I don't know why I got labeled the metrics guy in the Bills community. I have no idea how that happened, probably because of Stu. But the truth is that sometimes I look at something and I go, that doesn't match up with my eye test at all. But I don't immediately dismiss it. I got to go back and watch. Any process of observation and science should constantly be checking Double-checking, triple-checking, going back to checking, and doubting over and over and over again. We should not speak with this level of confidence as early on as we do. There's a lot of subjectivity to this. I'm not talking about drafting prospects. I'm not talking about scouting different players. There's a lot of subjectivity to that too. But I'll give you a great example. The Bills, their pass block win rate this year as an offensive line was fourth in the NFL. Their pressure rate allowed was fifth in the NFL. Their PFF grade was bottom five. How is that possible? The answer is it's somewhere in between. The Bills were not a great offensive line in 2022, nor were they an abject disaster where every single player needs replaced. I would like to see a new guard replacing Roger Saffold, and I would definitely, definitely like to see a nice hedge being placed against the idea that Spencer Brown might not take a step forward. But I'm completely satisfied with the play of Bates, Morse, Dawkins. They can stay. It's not an abject disaster, nor is it a top five unit. It is neither one of those things. But the answer, as usual, lies somewhere in the middle. But when you get done with the season, everything is either a disaster or great. And when you end as badly as the Buffalo Bills did, we just say everything's a disaster. But the truth is that you don't win 13 games if everything is a disaster. It's still a good team. Brandon Bean needs to hit a couple dingers. We talked about this on the pod. He needs to hit a couple dingers. It's been a little bit since he's hit a home run in player acquisition. Specifically drafting. But there's still singles and doubles. There's still good players on this team. They need some assistance. Offensive line is a, a significant need. I would argue guard is maybe the biggest need on this team. 
but you can draft one in the second round. That's okay too. Like all this is all right. But we're way, way, way too confident in our eye test. We see those things and the juxtaposition of the metric that it seems to be positive with our eye test, which seems to be negative, makes our hair stand up on the back of our neck. It makes us bristle. How dare this person imply that things aren't a disaster when I clearly said that they were? The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. The first pick has to be offensive line. Folks, you are setting yourselves up for a massive disappointment. If the only path you have to contentment is a singular draft pick on a singular non-quarterback position. That's it. The only way you could be happy is if they draft an offensive lineman with the first pick. Let me get this straight. You don't even care who it is. The Bills absolutely needed a safety. They drafted Dante Whitner. They absolutely needed a defensive tackle, and they drafted John McCargo. How did that go? They got the needs. They checked the boxes. Maybe drafting's more than just checking a box at the appropriate time. You don't line up the first knee with the first pick and the second worst knee with the second pick and the third worst knee with the third pick. And you don't how that's not how this works. You are setting yourself up for massive disappointment if that's what needs to happen in order for you to be happy. I know it's going to be offensive line or wide receiver. Like, I understand that. Offensive weapons, offensive line. Is it too much to ask for both? Let's pull a Tony Stark. Is it too much to ask for both? No, it's not. Both of those things can be addressed. If it's offensive line in the second and wide receiver in the first, that's fine. If it's offensive line in the first and wide receiver in the second, that's fine. If it's offensive line in free agency and then wide receiver in the first, that's fine. If it's wide receiver and free agency and offensive line in the first, all these things are fine. There are so many different combinations of asset expenditure that can get needs filled. Do not put yourself in one box where only one method of asset expenditure is enough to make you content. Just one. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We got more herky-jerky when we come back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We did the herky-jerky. We bounced around. We bounced around. We're going to keep going and bouncing around. Talking about scouting the helmet. Now, Ohio State doesn't produce NFL quarterbacks. Well, neither did Wyoming until they got Josh Allen. The narrative of scouting the helmet was always garbage and always be garbage. Here's why. The only benefit to scouting the helmet is scouting the program. Well, what are quarterbacks taught under Ryan Day? That matters. Yeah, absolutely. That matters. But knowing the things that an athlete was taught in college is an extremely small portion of projecting them to what they will be in the NFL, especially for quarterbacks. Very little about Justin Fields will have anything to do with whether or not C.J. Stroud is a success. It is the absolute laziest of all scouting. Until this past year, Alabama quarterbacks had the same thing. All of a sudden, Tua has a great year. Jalen Hurts is in the Super Bowl. What happened? What happened, folks? All of a sudden, Alabama quarterbacks 
I know Jalen Hurts graduated from Oklahoma, but he was an Alabama quarterback too, meaningfully. What happened there, guys? Was all the logic that was built into that argument just deflated overnight? No, it was garbage to begin with. It was always garbage. The laziest of all possible scouting is looking at the helmet and judging the player. The only thing you can do is take the scouting of the program in a small grain of salt. And even that only matters if they have the same coaching. Because the way that receivers were taught to run routes under Brian Hartline at Ohio State matters. Because that means that all of them were taught to run specific routes specific ways. But that wasn't the case when Jim Tressel was there because Brian Hartline was a player, not a coach at that time. So those Ohio State players back then have nothing to do with the Ohio State players now. Don't scout the helmet. We can be better than this. When you're talking about size, when you talk about draft prospects, please understand that size is not just height and it's not just weight. It is height, weight, length, hand size. All these things matter. When you talk about a wide receiver being an outlier, I try and stay away from outliers. That's the reason why I wasn't on Josh Allen because Josh Allen was an outlier. Ed Oliver has proven to be an outlier when it comes to size. These thresholds are there for a reason. People always talk about how, oh, well, you should look at the tape. Yeah, and that's it's great. But historical probabilities matter. If there has never been a five foot nine, 160 pound receiver who's been a really, really big part of an offense ever, then we're going to have trouble. Tank Dell, for example, 5'8, 163. Do you know any really good receivers who are 5'8", 163? Oh, well, he's an exception. Everyone thinks their guy is the exception. Every player that you like to watch is not unique. They're not unique in special snowflakes where, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was this way with every other player. But this guy, this guy's different. He might be. He's probably not. If he's an outlier that significant, he's probably not. And I know it seems gradient and weird. It seems arbitrary. Offensive linemen with certain amounts of arm length and cornerbacks with certain amounts of arm length. But those things matter. They matter when it comes to cornerbacks. They matter when it comes to offensive linemen. Measurements at the combine, all these things matter. All that matters is the tape. No, that's not true. You are a disqualifier based on your body type. You are significantly more or significantly less likely to be successful based on physical outliers. And when we say size... We don't mean height. Everyone's like, well, you know, Tank Dell, yeah, I mean, he's small, but Devonta Smith is small. Devonta Smith is over six feet tall. He's thin. He's not small. He has fairly long arms, 69th percentile for wingspan. Like, this is a tall, thin guy. He's not small. He's thin. Use the right words. Let's use the right words. He's thin. Tank Dell is small. He's short. He's light. He has short arms. He is small. 
when we talk about prospects and size and disqualifiers, I know it feels arbitrary. There's a reason it feels like that. Let's make sure we're using the right terms to describe the right situations. Folks, I would be prepared for the idea that the Bills might invest some money in the defensive line or some draft picks in the defensive line. And I know that that's probably not what you want to hear. But the truth is that if you don't want to hear it, it might be because you have sunk cost fallacy. You don't want to invest anymore in something because the things you have invested haven't worked out. But the fact they haven't worked out is exactly why the investment's necessary to begin with. A.G. Epinesa, we feel good about him starting. Boogie Basham, how about him? Feel good about him starting? Shaq Lawson might be gone again. It's a one-year deal. Jordan Phillips might be gone again. One-year deal. Ed Oliver, maybe not going to be here too much longer. Vaughn Miller's going to be 34. You might see another pick high. First, second, third round on a defensive lineman. And I know we're all going to be up in arms, but can you really tell me that the defensive line is great right now? You might say, okay, Oliver, Vaughn Miller, Boogie Basham, Daquan Jones. That's a good four. And it I would agree with you. That's a that's a perfectly solid four. But Vaughn Miller's 34. They have to rotate. You're going to play more people than those four. Do you feel really strongly about any of the other ones? I would agree that defensive line isn't a, as high of a need as guard. I don't think it's as high of a need as wide receiver, personally. But I just finished telling you that you can't line up your number one need with your number one draft pick, your number two need with your number two draft pick. It's Is it a need? And the answer is right now is, yeah, it is. So don't be surprised if you see it. Don't be surprised if they invest another one there. I've got a chance to really ramp up my draft prep. And we're going to start talking about some prospects. We're going to start talking about some draft theory. We're going to start talking about things like that next week and as the weeks go along. But there's been a newsy item that has occurred. And the newsy item that has occurred for the Buffalo Bills is that the Buffalo Bills have hired Al Holcomb as a senior defensive assistant. Now, this is relevant because he coached linebackers under Sean McDermott in Carolina. He was the defensive coordinator when Steve Wilkes was the interim head coach in Carolina. Now, if you'll remember correctly, when McDermott was in Carolina, the linebackers were the strength of that defense. That was the Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Shaq Thompson crowd. Holcomb is a very well-respected defensive mind in the NFL. And if you're not going to get a new defensive coordinator, I think this is the next best thing, which is bringing in someone who McDermott trusts to get a second set of eyes on this. Now, we can have a different discussion as to whether or not fresh ideas would have been a good idea. But if you're only bringing in one new voice, bringing in someone who's drastically different than the other people you have, might just cause a bunch of conflict. So bringing in someone you trust who can work with the people you already have in the absence of hiring a new defensive coordinator, this might be the next best thing. I do wonder 
if Steve Wilkes was not someone who got a defensive coordinator job, if they would have brought him in in this role. The same way that Brian Flores became a senior defensive assistant in Pittsburgh this last year. But having someone who you know who is still different than what you have, I think has value because Sean McDermott hasn't worked with Al Holcomb since 2017. McDermott left, and then in 18, Steve Wilkes got the job with the Arizona Cardinals. Remember, he was there for the head coach for one year and brought Holcomb with him as a defensive coordinator. And then Wilkes and his entire staff got fired after one year. Holcomb goes to Cleveland for a year as a linebacker's coach, then comes back to the Panthers as their defensive run game coordinator, and then became the defensive coordinator when Steve Wilkes became the interim head coach. Linebacker's coach, defensive run coordinator, these are the things that Al Holcomb does, the things that he does well. So, in the absence of getting a new defensive coordinator, which I know a lot of Bills Mafia did, This might be the most combination-friendly of realistic and helpful. Because you bring in one person who doesn't jive with literally anything else, right? Oh, well, I want a new new face. I want fresh blood. I don't don't want a yes man. I don't want somebody who's just going to sign up for whatever McDermott says. Okay, that's great. But he doesn't know the language any of you are speaking. You're all speaking one language, and this one guy is speaking completely different language because the entire coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball stayed the same. Now you bring in one dude who's going to mess up everything? No, you bring in someone who at least speaks the same language. He's going to have different words to say, but at least speaks your language. And that's the point. It's been seven years. It's not like Sean McDermott has brought this guy along everywhere he's gone because Sean McDermott had a chance to hire him in 2018 he had a chance to hire him in 2019 he had a chance to hire him in 2020 he could have brought him back in this role anytime he wanted okay maybe we need something new but we need someone who at least speaks the same language maybe we need a little bit of tweak maybe we need a little bit of something but i don't want to upset the apple cart That's what this feels like to me. I have no idea if it's going to work. So I'm not going to sit here and like pound the table. Yeah, let's go. Al Holcomb. I don't know. I have no idea if it's going to work. But I see the logic. I understand what it looks like I think they're trying to do. And that is, let's bring in a fresher voice who at least speaks the same language that everyone else on the defensive side of the ball speaks. And maybe you're upset because you wanted... A bigger change. And I get it. I understand. I really do. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumbling.